Good morning. It's good to see you. Could you turn to someone around you and say good morning to them if you don't mind, please? And tell them today we're going to talk about the Apostles' Creed. I'm not sure what that is, okay? Now, for some of you, you do, and I understand. That's okay. It's right here behind you. It's uh, very large, and, and uh, you can't miss this. And so I'm excited about the next 12 weeks that we spend together through the Apostles' Creed. And we'll kind of explain all of this in just a moment to you. But today we have, we're starting at the very beginning, and it's entitled, I Believe In. Now, if you have any liturgical background this morning, then, uh, you know, if you come from a formal background of maybe Catholicism or that of, uh, of an Anglican church or a Reformed Presbyterian church, then when you came in and you saw the Apostles' Creed up there, you're geeking out because you're thinking they finally get it. Finally, you know, I've been coming here for a long time and they finally have come to their senses and they understand what they're doing. And then some of you are seeing that and you're wondering, wait a minute, what, can you really do that here? Is that what we can do here? And how has this happened? Because this is, uh, this is the, I, you know, I would really rather have a series from the Song of Solomon than to have it from this, you know, kind of deal. So what are we talking about? Because are creeds really allowed in a non-denominational church? And so, uh, you know, all the Baptists are looking at this and they're thinking, oh, the only creed I have is the Bible and that's good enough for me, you know, kind of deal. And uh, especially if it's a King James Version, it's great. And then all the Pentecostals look up there and they say, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And all you're, you're kind of like, yes, this is exactly what I wanted to hear. And so there is in the room this mixture of that of kind of maybe excitement, you know, and give me some latitude here and some nervousness about what is going on. And some of you are just still thinking about the donuts already. You know, that's still on your mind. Those little round uh, sugar-laced pieces of lard that we absolutely love to eat on a, on a Sunday morning. And so maybe that's where your mind is. But why the Apostles' Creed over the next 12 weeks together? Well, let me explain it to you as we get started through this process. There are four things, and these four things are actually going to be our, our outline for this morning. But there's four things why the Apostles' Creed over the next 12 weeks throughout the summer. The first is this. The Creed is going to help us to be better or help us to develop better symmetry in our life as Christians. It's going to give us what I think a greater and a more robust understanding of who the God is of the Bible, who God is. I think the second thing is it's going to help us with some clarity within our lives. We're going to have a very good and very clear view of who God is at the end of these 12 weeks together. Third, the creed is going to inform, uh, are going to, uh, it's going to inform our community. And what I mean about this is that the creed is going to help us to establish like who we belong to and whom we are with. And it's important because if you understand anything about the creed, and we'll explain some of this momentarily, that, that Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ, have been reciting this for over two millennia, for over 2,000 years that this creed has been spoken in gatherings like this morning together. So it gives us a, a sense of community that who we belong to and who we are with. And also, the creed informs our counsel, that both of how we counsel ourselves and how we counsel others. And we do counsel ourselves at times. If you read through the book of Psalms, you know that David counseled, him, counseled himself, canceled, no, counseled himself. Those words are kind of very similar. Counseled himself many times. He said to his spirit, you know, why are, so, why are you so cast down, O my soul? Put your trust in God that he counseled himself. And so we're going to talk about those four things this morning. But before we get to that, it's important because many times we're not really creedial people, so it's important that I give you a couple of 
uh, caveats before we go any further. And you may hear these every week, you know, and we heard things every week through the book of Exodus that we spent those 30 weeks together or almost 30 weeks together. But a couple of caveats that we have to really, I think, cover before we get into the Apostles Creed. Here's the first one. I think it's important. It's in your bulletin that this series is not about preaching the creed. So understand that. Realize that but rather using the creed to preach scripture, to preach the Bible. We preach scripture here. We don't preach creeds. So they simply, the creed is about directing us back to scripture. Why? My point is this, because creeds hold no authority within themselves. They do not, but they always point back to ultimate authority, and that is the Apostles' Creed always points back to the ultimate authority of scripture within our lives. That's really important for you to understand as we embark on this journey together over the summer. It's like this. I illustrate it like this. The moon, an amazing creation of God, the moon. But the moon has no light within itself. And I I know that most of you know that, but it's a great illustration. Because it doesn't. What happens is the sun radiates and shines on the moon. And then, then that light reflects off the surface of the moon. And then reflects. And you and I see that light reflecting from the sun. And it's a powerful illustration because the reality is that the moon has no light within itself, but it's a reflection of the sun. The creed is exactly that. It's a reflection of the light of the word of God. It doesn't have light within itself, standing alone within itself, but it reflects the very light of the word of God for my life and your life. There's no authority within it outside of the word of God. So I would never preach it. I would never preach it, but it points back to Scripture. It points back to Scripture. The second caveat for a moment is this. The creed has amazing historical value. It's the oldest creed, Christian creed that we find in, in, in the world today. And there's two things about it. Because I think when you look at this, you realize this historical value that this thing has been recited since the second or the third century. So for hundreds or thousands of years that Christians have been gathering together like we are doing this morning... And they've been reciting the creed together. And when you, under, you say, but what, what was it used for? Well, there's a couple of things. First, the, creed, the Apostles' Creed was used for correction. Because Christians have a tendency to stray from the truth at times. When it comes to God and understanding God. So the creed was used for correction in the Christian church. And secondly, it was always really a primary tool for that of Christian formation. That it has been used for millennia to shape people into the people that God has designed them to be around the truth of Scripture. So those are two things. The third thing is this. Christians do not believe in incantations. And I think that's important because this is not an incantation. Christians do not believe in incantations. So I'm saying that for you to realize that, well, if you say that, if you say this at the end of the service with us this morning, that that doesn't make you a Christian. If you memorize this, know every line, every word, every punctuation mark of the Apostles' Creed this morning, it doesn't make you lucky so you can go out and buy a whole bunch of lottery tickets. It doesn't do that at all. And and I know that some of you, you're disappointed now, right? No, it's not going to get you the promotion on your job that you've been wanting to get just because you can quote the Apostles' Creed. It's not that. It's not going to get you the girl that you've been staring at just because you can quote the Apostles' Creed. Understand that. That is not what this is about. This is not an 
incantation. And if you as a Christian are involved in anything that involves incantations, let me tell you what to do. Pack your bags, get your running shoes on, and hit the door because you don't need to be involved in that. Why? Because we as human beings tend to place trust in that. And when we do, we simply remove trust from God. And that is extremely dangerous for us as believers. So this is not an incantation. This is not going to make you a Christian just because you know these words. But can I read them to you for a moment? And then I want to read some scripture from the book of Romans chapter 10, starting with verse 9. But let me read this to you, and then at the end of this teaching, we will read this together standing. It says this, and this is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. And I know for some of you, you're wondering, Mark, where are you going with that? You know, what is that all about? And for some of you, if you were Lutherans, this is not the one you read growing up, right? So you understand that. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, if the creed, as we understand it, is a reflection of Scripture, then we have to go to Scripture right now. It's Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And it says, and you know these words most likely if you have, if you have spent any time in church, it says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But there's two parts of this text that you must understand. You must get that. Verse 10 says this, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and, in, and is saved. And is saved. So what we have here is this confession that Jesus is Lord. It's like, it's like a pledge of allegiance. You know, I grew up in a time, and saying that makes me sound like the old guy that talks about the good old days. You know what I'm saying? And he talks about like you walk to school, you know, barefooted in the snow in the middle of the summer, uphill both ways kind of thing, kind of deal that you would always say to your kids or your grandkids, but I'm, I'm not that old. But I remember growing up in a time when it was very American to say the Pledge of Allegiance. In some places now, it seems to be somewhat contrary to being an American to say that because we're afraid that we're going to offend someone because we don't want to violate everybody's right to never be offended in life, okay? And if you don't want to be offended, then you are probably in the wrong place right now, okay? Understand that. Because I I tend to be... You know, I tend to be a very, um, well, this gospel, I should say, can be very offensive. It challenges us where we live in life. It really does. Yes. So in that Pledge of Allegiance, you place your hand, you know, your right hand over your heart. You recite those things. What this, This is the same thing, where I confess that Jesus is Lord of my life. My allegiance is to Christ above everything else in this world, above everything else in the creative order, that my allegiance is to Christ is exactly what Paul is saying. So you're thinking, okay, here's the thing. If I understand Romans 10, 9 and 10, then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to believe in Jesus. I'm going to confess that right now. And then Jesus is Lord of my life and I'm saved. But I think before you pull that trigger, you got to wait a moment. You got to realize something that there's two parts to this because verse 10 says, 
For with the heart one believes and is justified. And then it says, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That there's an order by which we believe and confess. There's an order here. And the text says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. Context is everything. I want you to understand this. Context is absolutely everything. The text does not say no. It doesn't say no, but it says to believe. Not that I know that Jesus is Lord, but yet that I believe that Jesus is Lord. And why this is important? It's important because belief always leads to action. Knowing may or may not lead to action. But belief in my life, in your life, will always lead to action. It does. And that's important about this. That it's not just about knowing, but it's about believing. And I think, and I believe that's why our forefathers, when this was written thousands of years ago, they start out with this phrase, I believe in. Because this is something that I have to, I have to get beyond my mind and I get into my heart that I believe it and I don't just know this. And so Paul stresses that in the book of Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. So I ask a question. Here's a little survey. Now, this is a uh, detailed question, so you have to listen carefully, okay? So, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand at the end of this. So here's a survey. How many of you know things you should be doing and know things you shouldn't be doing and that has not stopped you from doing or not doing them? That's a tough question, isn't it? Can I read it to you one more time? All right, here it is. Listen very carefully. How many of you know things you should be doing and know things you shouldn't be doing and that has not stopped you from doing or not doing them? Raise your hand. Wow, you understood. I really doubted that, okay? I want to say, because I had this thing written down in my notes, if nobody raised their hand, I was going to say, okay, everybody raise your hand because that's the proper answer, right? Isn't that true? Because we've all been there. There's, always, there's, there's things in our life that we know we should be doing. There's things that we know we should not be doing, but yet we have not done them and we have done some of those things. Why? But Because it comes down to knowing and not believing. Because knowing simply leads us to action within our life. Our believing leads us to action. Knowing it's a maybe sometimes. Maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe I want. And that is powerful that we see this in context of this scripture. Because it moves us to action. It really does. So to believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. Then the scripture says, Paul says, that leads to justification within our lives. And that ultimately leads to the confession in our mouth that Jesus is Lord of our life. And I think it's important that as we have taught over the years here around this theological thought about that, the difference between believing and knowing, that we understand, about, understand something about our humanity and this, this. That human beings are not primarily thinking creatures. We're not. Now, we do think sometimes. That's true. And sometimes you think, well, hey, you don't know my kids and they don't think a whole lot, you know. But we're not primarily thinking creatures. Human beings are primarily creatures driven by our love. We are driven by our love more than we are driven by what we think we are. Because no amount of intellectual information necessarily transforms or moves us. But our heart does. When our loves line up, Man, we are drawn to action. That is exactly right. 
when we love something or love someone, nothing keeps us from that. We make a way. We put together a plan. Nothing stands in our way because those things draw us to action. We chase what we love. We're driven by our affections within this life. And any understanding of what drives us outside of that is absolutely incorrect. So that is why Paul says this. It's the heart that must be it must believe. It goes beyond just sitting here week after week and just knowing. And that's why I feel like there's so much weight to this Apostles' Creed. And I wanted, I've wanted for years to share this with you through a series. Because it starts out with those words, I believe in. It's more than just knowing. That's why this is not an incantation. This is not some secret um, you know, club that we have with this secret words that we speak that make things happen. That's not what this is. I believe in and it points back to Christ. It points back to Scripture always. And that is the reason it says, I believe in and not know. Because the creed points back to the gospel. The gospel. That's powerful. Because the gospel is so different in all other religions, isn't it? All the other religions of the world, it's so very different. It actually, it is. It is because all other religions says, hey, here's the bar. You meet up to the bar. All right. Here's the bar. You get good enough. You do enough right things in your life. You're, you're, you know, you achieve enough good things and then you're going to meet the level and you're going to measure up a lot of philosophers living in the same way. Here's the bar and you measure up to it. It's a narrative of materialism. Here's the bar. You meet up to it. You're all good. It's that narrative of that of the Muslim faith or Buddhist or Hinduism that here's the bar and you live up to it. And that's the darkness of those religions. But Christianity, from the very moment that Paul preaches this in Romans 10, 9 and 10, he sets the world on fire. He preaches this to the church at Rome and it begins to spread through every, every uh, area and every town around them. And what he does when he spoke those words, he separated Christianity from every other religion of the world at that time by starting out not with we do, but he starts out with simply I believe. I believe not that we believe that we do something, but we believe that someone has done something, that we believe that we have a Savior. And what He has done is He has come into this world as a man died on the cross, went to the grave, He rose again, and, and, and now He has ascended to the Father, and He sits there and intercedes for you and I. That is exactly what we believe. It's not meeting some bar that has been set by someone that says that, oh, now I'm good enough and now I'm okay. And that is the fuel of our culture. And I absolutely understand that. But both scripture and the creed simply is countercultural. It speaks against those things. And the gospel simply bears this out that we believe that we have a savior. I believe. Those are powerful words. I believe. Wow. You got to kind of let that marinate and get into your heart for a minute that we believe this morning. Yes. 
You've said good morning to the person next to you. No, this is an interactive church. I don't like an interactive church. I'm sorry, you don't have to do this. I'm not going to force you to this. I'm not going to call you out, you know. But this is an interactive thing. I believe it is. It kind of, you know, we're going to talk about community. So you've got another person next to you. So you've said good morning to them. Could you turn to them and say, I believe? Could you say to them, I believe? That is important. I believe. Yes, it's more than knowing, but it's I believe. So, so simply, how does the creed help us? Well, we've talked about those four things. Can we flesh those out for a moment together? It's this. The creed helps us develop better symmetry. It helps us develop better symmetry. So here's another survey. Say, so Mark, you're really interactive this morning, and you're, and you're getting on my, my nerves a little bit with this kind of stuff of asking us questions all the time. My anonymity is really threatened today. Well, I love you, and I'm glad that you're here. So here's another question. How, how many... Uh, how many at some point in your life you have worked out consistently at a gym? How many have ever done that? Raise your hand. Okay, raise your hand. Okay. Now you say, Mark, thank you for the guilt trip. We really appreciate that. Okay. That was my New Year's revol- resolution. And it was going to be a revolution. It was a resolution. It, yeah, it was. It's a fight. That's for sure. Yeah. That's my resolution. You know, it was. And I made that back in January. And, you know, here we are in June. And I'm still thinking about it. I just kind of have, you know, made a decision and praying about it and asked for the Lord to lead me in that direction and all those kinds of things. And, and uh, I just, you know, I have this addiction to hamburgers and all that kind of stuff. But I, I can't do that. And so if you have, if you've ever gone to the gym or a place of a working out, then you've met that guy. You say, what is that guy? <laughs> it's that guy. All right, here it is. Don't get offended. But if you do, I love you. It's that guy that looks like an upside-down pear with toothpicks stuck up his rear end. Have you ever seen the guy? Have you ever seen the guy? David, you know the guy? Okay, it, okay here's the guy. It, it's not David, okay? Trust me. All right, uh, it's, it's, he, he's the guy... He loves, he loves the abs, and he loves the arms, and he loves the chest, but he never shows up for leg day. That's the guy. You know the guy that, that he's, he's got, you know, he's the pair, but down there, he's the guy that always works out in sweatpants because he knows, okay? He knows, and so he, he always works out in sweatpants, even though it's like 90 degrees in the gym, but he knows. And so that's the guy that never shows up for a leg day when it's, he's asymmetrical. Now, that's my point. He's, he's asymmetrical, not symmetrical, and he doesn't have the right symmetry. He, he feels like he looks good, but he's really weaker than what he actually thinks he is. He may be able to bench press 400 pounds, and I guess that's a lot, but if you were to hit him hard enough, you could knock him over. Why? Because there's no base. Here's the point. There's no root with him, And because there's no base and there's no root, there's no power. Why? Because the majority of the human power is birthed in the glutes and the hams and the hips. That's where it is. Okay? That's exactly where it is. And because there's no base and there's no root, he appears to be strong, but he's not as strong as he thinks he is. And that can happen to you when it comes to spiritual symmetry in my life and your life. And it happens all the time that we don't, we don't work on or get that robust bill that God wants for us to become the person that God has designed for us to become. And we tie that back to the creed. I can tie that back to the creed by talking about how many times we get out of Christian symmetry, our spiritual symmetry within our life. You say, what do you mean? Well, it's this. 
here's a, here's a couple of thoughts I have that kind of explains that. Your understanding of what it means to be a Christian is this, that Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. That's good. That's wonderful. That's working your upper body. That's your abs, your chest, your arms, and, and all the other muscles above your waist. And that is absolutely wonderful that you do that. But if you don't go further than that, then you're not lined up symmetrically with what Scripture would teach us about who we are in God. Because we have to understand that not only is He our personal Savior, but you and I, according to the creed, which reflects Scripture, we belong to the Holy Catholic Church. Boy, it got quiet in here, didn't it? Did you notice that? That was a strategic strategic pause on my part. Because... When we see this in Scripture or in the Creed, we understand historically that that is not referring to the Roman Catholic Church. That, and that's not a negative toward that, that, Rome, that movement at all. That's not that. But that is not what the Creed is talking about. When you look at the word Catholic, it simply talks about that of being universal is what the word means. It means that of all in, encompassing is actually what the word means. So he's talking about the universal church. He's talking about the body of Christ. That yes, he's my personal savior, but if I don't understand that I'm also a part of a huge family outside of myself, then I'm not symmetrically like I should be. And the communion of the saints, he talks about that. So the day that we talk about that of community, you know what? That's going to be a leg day for us. That's going to be a leg day. So show up, okay? Come on. It's going to be a leg day. I thought about this, you know, that some of us were really dialed into the history of Jesus. Man, we love the Gospels. We do. We love to read about the woman at the well. We love to read about Jesus walking on the water. We love to hear about how Jesus would tell dead people they're not allowed to be dead. We love all those kinds of things. But I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that Jesus is alive. He's alive and he sits at the right hand of the Father today for you and I. And when we talk about it that day, that's going to be a leg day for some of you. Because what this does, this gives us symmetry as Christians. The second thing is this. The creed helps us with some clarity within our lives. Uh, there's a survey. You can look it up online. It's done some time ago. It's, it's what is our theological temperature. It's an interesting survey. What is, and so it talks to evangelicals. It, it looks at evangelicals, and it talks about what they see as the doctrine of God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, sin, and the Bible. And when I looked at this, what I realized is that evangelicals in America are extremely confused about a lot of these topics. Because when they were asked what they thought about the doctrine of God, a large number of evangelicals deny, deny the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is God in the flesh. They deny that. There's a lot of confusion about that. A lot of evangelicals deny that the Holy Spirit is a person. They think he's some ethereal kind of a wind or smoke or presence. A lot of evangelical, half of evangelicals simply reject the inerrancy of Scripture today. That's crazy that Scripture has no place to speak to ethical issues in their life because there's no authority there. And I read also that many evangelicals in the United States today feel that worshiping alone is just as valid as, as attending corporate worship in a church setting. And I have to go back to this quote that I've, I've used so many times by A.W. Tozer. And it simply says this, what you believe about God and what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing in the universe. And I think that's why we have to go and look at 
the Apostles' Creed as it reflects Scripture to you and I. Because in our culture, as evangelicals, there is a lot of confusion about who God is and what God is up to and what God is doing and what God is all about. It is. And I think we kind of, we have grown up in, in our churches and in, in evangelicalism asking the wrong questions about God at times. And, and, and there is these movements today. Pragmatism has, has come on the picture where this thought about hungering and thirsting after God and waiting after God. You know, I have to have everything right now and I want these five steps for God to fix me today. And, and if I don't go to church and I don't get five steps of how God is going to fix me today and I don't walk out with that, then I'm going to go to another church. And we, and we don't understand that concept of waiting through the highs and lows of our lives and walking through those things with God for some kind of spiritual formation within our life. No, I don't want to think about that. Mark, did you use the word waiting? Let's not talk about waiting. We don't want to talk about waiting, you know? That is a really bad word in our culture, but it's not, and it's very biblical because many times God walks us through those moments of waiting for spiritual formation within our life, and you're here, and you've been asking God, God, you know, Lord, fix my marriage. I want you to fix my marriage today, God. My marriage really is in a bad shape, and you know what? It's taken me 20 years to jack my marriage up, but I want you to fix it right now, this very moment. And we live in a church culture that's simply fueled by that kind of stuff. And what I've learned both biblically, theologically, what I've learned both practically and how God works in my life, that sometimes God says, wait to me. Sometimes God says, hey, I'm going to walk this journey out with you for your spiritual formation in life. And I believe that what we're going to understand is through this teaching that we're going to go through about through the Apostles' Creed, is God is going to give us some clarity in those areas of how He works within my life and your life. It is. We live in a culture that wants happiness. Dude, I want to be happy. All I want to do is just be happy. And I'm not saying that God wants you sad. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I believe is this. I believe God wants you to have joy over happiness. Amen? Isn't that right? Right. Because what I know about happiness is this. Happiness can break even when I'm thinking about it. I've done nothing but think about it. It can really break. It really can. But what I understand about joy is is this. It's not pulled up very quickly by the circumstances of my life because it's rooted in the gospel. And so we're going to get some clarity. The third is this, that the creed helps us understand community. It helps us to understand community. Uh, I love the, the bulletin front that Seth has designed and this banner because these little guys on the side here, they look a lot like the apostles, don't they? They kind of, in a way, uh, for whatever. I personally like the guy on the bottom here. He's on the bottom here and on the top here with a really neat haircut with the open top. I think that's really good, and, but that's my favorite. But when, when I saw this, what this made me think of is this. That this is going to dial us into something bigger than who we are. Something bigger than the way we have been thinking. Because we are part of a group, part of a family, though that's much larger than maybe what we've given a lot of thought to. Because when we look at the creed, we begin to read this together. What I realize is that brothers and sisters in Christ have read this thing thousands of years before we have. People that vary from... From way back in the beginning, as God has been calling people out, that, that God calls people out to be a part of, of the people that he designed to be. We saw that through the book of Exodus. 
and they didn't have the creed then, and I understand that, but this reflects a lot of those concepts that we find from Scripture. And so when they begin to read the creed in the second and the third century, then what I realize, it makes us a part of a huge community, that we're not by ourselves. And, and there is such foundation and understanding that, that our forefathers in the church, thousands of years before us, have been reading this and reciting this. And today, all over the world, as people gather together in whatever time zone they're in, that many of them are reading this creed as we're going to stand in a few moments and read it together, that we're not alone, that we're a huge family, that God has called us out as a people. He's invested himself within all of us, that we are not by ourselves. We're community. Not defined by these walls, but defined by the gospel. Oh, and I love that. So we are critical people, that we believe this. And that means our family is a lot bigger than what we are. It goes on, goes far beyond being a non-denominational church or whatever you say that you are this morning or your background of being that of a Presbyterian or Episcopal or a Baptist or a Methodist or a Catholic or, or, or Lutheran or, or Anglican or, or whoever and whatever you are. And some of you think, Mark, I don't know what I am other than I just love Jesus. That's fine and that's good. That's, that's awesome. That's, that's okay. But, but whoever and whatever you are this morning, it takes us far beyond those walls and that's where the church needs to go. That this is historic and this is bigger than we are and it's absolutely beautiful. It's beautiful. Oh. And the fourth thing is this. Symmetry and clarity and community. And the last thing is that it helps us with counsel. It affects how we counsel ourselves and affects how we counsel others. Because if we believe, like looking at this creed, we believe that God forgives sin, then we counsel ourselves differently. Because we have to be honest. We've all sinned this week. You say, Mark, how do you know? Because I know that you're all human. You are. Yes. Yes. None of you look like those those chubby little naked babies that fly around in heaven with wings and a harp. None of you look like that, you know? And if you did, that's strange. That's really strange. But it, none of you do because we're all human. And I know that some degree or varying degrees of levels or whatever that you have sinned. Some of you, you said harsh things to your spouse. Mark, how do you know that? Did God tell you that? No, I know you're human. You are. Yes. And they are too. And, and some of you, you haven't loved God like you should. You've disobeyed God when God has spoken to your heart this week about doing something to follow his voice. You've done those kinds of things. I realize that. And if you believe that God forgives of sin, then you're going to counsel yourself differently. Why? Because you're not going to run from the forgiver, but you're going to run to the forgiver. Yes. And that's what this teaches us. You're not going to grow saying, you know, I blew it in man and I hope nobody knows this. And I, I hope that God has somehow had his back turned when this happened. So I'm going to pretend this never happened and maybe God will forget. No, that you're going to run to God. And if you truly believe that he forgives sin, then what you're going to do is not only are you going to counsel yourself differently, but you're going to counsel others differently within your life. How do you walk with those who sinned against you? How do you walk with those who have sinned against you? It's more grace. It's more grace. Boy, I've asked you a lot of questions. Can I ask you one more? Okay, here it is. And here it is. And, and I want you to think about this. This is how many of you feel you have been sinned against this week? How many of you feel you have been sinned against 
this week. Oh, tough. Raise your hand. Okay, good. There's some of you. Terrific. Excellent. That's wonderful. But the majority, you did not raise your hand. So you must be running with a really godly crowd. I tell you, you must be. And the others that raise their hand, they need to change their friends and get your friends, okay? Because it's a lot better for you. No. How do you walk with those that do you wrong? Persecute you. Say all manner of evil against you. How do you walk with him? If you believe that he forgives sin, because this changes the way we counsel ourselves and counsel others. If you believe that he forgives sin, then not only are you a recipient of grace, but you also, you give grace to others. Yes. So I'm excited about our 12 weeks together. I am. And as we look at the history of this in our church fathers, 2,000 years of our Christian faith together, where people have come together, they recited and they rejoiced these words together, pulled straight from Scripture. What I pray that each week that the Holy Spirit speaks to our life about symmetry, that He speaks to us about clarity within our lives, that we understand and embrace our community as we are believers, and that we grow in our counsel to ourselves and to our others as we quote these words together. So let's do that for a moment, if you don't mind. We're going to have the slides up. It's right here, bigger than life, so you can see it, right? It's there. I think it would be appropriate, in light of the value of this, for us to stand. Could you do that for a moment, please? Now, I'm going to have you be seated again and then stand again. You say, Mark, now it's calisthenics. It's holy calisthenics. So to see it as that. But every week I want us to conclude our teachings by reading this together. And let this sink deep into our hearts and deep into our spirits. Would you read out loud with me together this morning? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell the third day. He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Those are powerful words. Be seated for just a moment. You're going to stand again in just a second, so don't get comfortable. All right? Keep your shoes on for just a second. I've read this over and over this week, and something hit me. My dad always said something hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm not sure exactly what that means, because I don't think he'd get up after that, but something hit me, Okay? That every time the early church would recite this, simultaneously two things would happen. One is this, it was their greatest act of rebellion. And secondly, it was their greatest act of allegiance. Because the early church would gather in a room very different than this. Not a place, not a place of gathering protected by law. But for centuries, believers would stand and they would read the Apostles' Creed together just like we just did. 
not knowing who would burst in the doors behind them. Having no idea that if there were spies among them that would report them. When they stood and they read these things together, especially in Rome, they would, they would simply reject the popular narrative of that day. Because what they would say is that Caesar is not Lord, but what they would say with this, Jesus is our Lord. He is even Lord over Caesar and all creation. And in that kind of setting, they would recite the very words that you and I just recited together. Because the, re- the creed reminds us that we don't believe in the story that our culture is telling us. That we, different for us, that we reject this modern narrative of materialism. That things we... Co- pile up in our life can satisfy our soul, that our physical desires can be satisfied just with another relationship within our lives. We reject those kinds of things. We do. We reject the thought that there is no way and that you have to find your own way. But there is a way, the only way, and that is Jesus. There's only one way. And so every time the church recites this, We say that we reject those modern narratives. We cling to these historical, biblical narratives that Jesus is the way. He is the thing that fills our lives and fills those empty spots within us. Nothing else in this world can do that for me. Nothing. And this is about rooting ourselves I know you guys are ready, but I have a thought. Last year I had, this is weird, I know, at the end, but, here, but I'm weird, so just get over it. But the, the last year I had these shrubs in my yard that I wanted to get, get out. And, and so they weren't really big shrubs, so I decided that I would get a shovel and an axe and I would dig around them, I'd cut the roots away, and then I would just pull them up by hand, you know. Because I'm the guy at the gym that's like the upside down pear. And so, you know, no, I'm not. I kind of wish I had that, but I don't. But um, I have symmetry, maybe not the best kind of symmetry. But here's the thing. So I thought that would work. So I dug around them and I cut the roots and I'd give in to pull. But what I realized after hours and hours of pulling and pulling and frustration, they wouldn't move. And these things are not very big. And so I thought, well, what's going on here? So after hours and hours of frustration, I decided that I would go to my inner redneck self. And so what I did is I went and I got a chain and I got the four-wheel drive, you know? That's what I thought would work. Yeah. I didn't care what my neighbors thought or anything, but that's what I did. And they still resisted for a while, but I was persistent. And they, they released at some point. They did. And I thought, why were they near impossible to pull up? Because of the time that they've been there and their deep rootedness. And I prayed this morning that if God does anything over the 12 weeks in my life and your life is this. That he puts some roots in my life deep. Deep. 
through the understanding of an ancient document that reflects the powerful scriptures to you and I today. So that when things come in my life that are unexplainable, that my roots are deep in Him. So that when God says, you step out, and I say, God, but there's nowhere to step out. You know, there's no ground under my feet. And God says, I will create the ground as you walk. I have to have deep roots for that time of my life. When I have someone in my life that I don't understand, and I've been praying for God to simply give me understanding, but God says, just walk in me and understand I have this, that I have to have deep roots for that. When I've been praying for healing for my life from a disease, but I still have that disease, I have to have deep roots to understand what God is doing in my life. So, God, sink our roots deep in you. Give us a firm foundation in you above everything else. So would you bow your heads with me for a moment? Father, you are powerful, all-knowing. It is not by chance that we have embarked on this journey together today, but... It's because you have designed us to be here to walk this path together for the next 12 weeks. So, Father, we reject the fix-it-now movement. God, we reject all of those movements, even in church today, that would point us to ourselves to fix us. But we only embrace those things that would focus us on you. Because you are the only one that can fix us. For those moments in our life when we ask the hard questions that you sink our roots deep in you, Lord. So that circumstances will not uproot us. They may shake us, but they will not uproot us. So, Father, may this journey be a journey that sinks us deep into the gospel. 